If you have your Bible, please take it and turn to the book of Revelation. And I would like to continue through a series that we began a number of weeks ago from the book of Revelation. I think that we have an opportunity as the people of God to get help and understanding from the Lord on how to live in this age. We have this incredible book that speaks of the coming of Christ. And at the start of the book, we have these seven letters written to seven churches in Asia Minor, churches that the Apostle John had a great responsibility to oversee. And we are coming to the second church, the church of Smyrna, from Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, to the messenger of the church of Smyrna, write. And it could be that the messenger of the church of Smyrna at this time in history was a man by the name of Polycarp. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. You'll have tribulation for 10 days. But be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear any of you have an ear out there? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And if I were to entitle this section, I would just entitle it Overcomers. Overcomers in an age of persecution. Every year, an organization tracks the persecution of Christians around the world. And they have acknowledged that better than three million believers live in countries that persecute Christians because of their faith. It tracks the top 50 countries in the world. And for years, North Korea was number one. 
and you just start looking at the top 10, and they are countries that you can understand would persecute Christians. China is up there. Afghanistan, Iran. And we could go on and on. You can look this up online. And thousands of Christian people, because they believed on Christ, have been killed last year. And thousands more have been imprisoned or kidnapped. It is real. But we are living in the United States of America that for the past couple hundred years has enjoyed relative freedom. Freedom from persecution for biblical truth. But I hope you understand that the winds are blowing differently today. And you could almost say that the United States is in a post-Christian era, a post-biblical truth era. For biblical truth is now being attacked and has been being attacked for quite a long time in this country. And I also want you to understand that the attack is not coming just from human beings. We are not wrestling against flesh and blood. I think we tend to look around and we see that this persecution, this hostility, this opposition is coming to us from human beings. And yet we're going to discover in this text that the real enemy behind everything is one called Satan in this text and the devil. And he has been out to challenge the truth of God from the very beginning of man's history. Did he not say in the garden, has God said? Isn't that where the questioning began? He began to question the truth of God. Anything that is biblically true is being attacked in our culture today. And it used to be kind of subtle. It used to be off at the side, but there are cultural wars attacking biblical truth. And because of that, they're going to attack Christian people. And this should not surprise us. We're not living in the age of the prosperity gospel that is preaching happiness and peace and prosperity to you. By the way, that is not the gospel. The Lord Jesus challenged us to be ready to suffer. He suffered. Was he loved by the world or hated by the world? He was hated by the world. Jesus said, I'm hated by the world because I told them that their deeds are evil. And if we as the people of God are willing to stand up for the truth of God and speak truth to this generation, they're going to cause persecution and suffering for us. And we have to be willing to embrace it. It is coming. The whole issue of life 
And abortion has brought this to the surface in this country and in this culture. It is wrong for anybody to attack personal property and to burn and destroy it. That is wrong. Whether it is an abortion clinic or a pro-life clinic, you don't destroy property. You don't harm people. And yet, the government is willing to pass laws that will allow the FBI and law enforcement to investigate people that attack the clinics that provide abortion, and yet you will recall that this summer a man's home was raided. The FBI brought in 20 agents with guns drawn pounding on the door of his house to arrest him in the morning. And he had, was it six or seven children inside the house? And what the general public doesn't understand, that that same man offered to come in and speak to the FBI the month previously about an incident that happened a year ago where he was protesting before an abortion clinic with his 12-year-old son. And an abortion activist, according to his story, came up and got into the face of his 12-year-old son and he pushed the activist away. And a year later, a lawsuit claiming that he assaulted the activist is what drove the FBI not to receive him to come in in the month of June earlier and, and, and give himself up and talk about this. No, they made that certain that there was going to be a demonstration made against anybody that was pro-life, and so we're going to invade his home with guns drawn. That's where we are today. And in our state, upstate New York, in the Buffalo region, Another organization, Compass Care, Pro-Life. Had one of their centers vandalized. Vandalized. $400,000 worth of damage to that clinic. You know what that clinic was doing? It was providing health care to women testing for STDs, helping them to understand family planning and also encouraging these young girls to keep their child and aiding them throughout this process. $400,000 worth of damage. When the police came in, they seized the, the um, surveillance footage and for over now, over a hundred and nearly 30 days, no arrests. And when the clinic wanted its, its surveillance back so that they could do some investigation too, they've refused to give them the footage. And yet, if you're an activist that is pro-life, they'll find you in a couple of days, arrest you, and sentence you. There's something going on in this country. There is radical opposition to biblical truth. 
The Lord would say that prior to his coming, it is going to be like the days of Noah. And if you go back to the book of Genesis, you'll read that two prominent things are mentioned in the book of Genesis about the days of Noah. Number one was widespread corruption. And number two, widespread violence. Violence. The winds are shifting. We must, as believers, understand that if we'll stand up for biblical truth in this generation, we are going to suffer. We're going to suffer like the believers did in the city of Smyrna. When you will emphatically state that there are only, speak biblical truth, that there are only two genders. And if you will take a stand against the maiming and the mutilation of children, you'll fill the winds of opposition blow against you. What are you going to do? You know out in the state of California that they passed a law that if a child seeking to transgender goes to speak with a doctor that there is by law the necessary at a certain hospital for a transgender activist to be in the same office with that child so that the doctor does not talk them out of having their breasts removed or go through a sex change at 12 years old. That's America today. Smyrna, the church in Smyrna, one of the ancient cities that's now today surrounded by a modern city called Izmir. And you can go over and visit it. And when you look at these seven churches in Asia that these letters were written to, the city of Smyrna was the loveliest of all the cities of Asia. Matter of fact, men would call it the ornament of Asia, the crown of Asia, the flower of Asia. What a beautiful place, magnificently situated in John's day. A very beautiful harbor with with narrow hills that then became a mountain. Established 1,000 B.C. And it existed for nearly 600 years and then it was destroyed. And then a few hundred years later, it was rebuilt. It was one of the few cities in the ancient world that was rebuilt with planning. They had broad, straight streets laid out in a grid. And those broad streets were accentuated by one called a gold street. And right behind the gold street, the mountain arose. And then behind this gold street, you see all of these beautiful buildings that had been built. 
There were temples to the gods. There was a temple to Zeus and a temple to Sibyl. And because of their loyalty to the Roman government, they were allowed by the Roman government to build a temple to Hadrian and others. It was a pagan city, but beautiful beyond measure. They had culture. They had stadium where the yearly games were played. They had the most magnificent library. Music flowed through the streets. There was theater and great architecture. It was a free city. Rome made it a free city. Why? Because it had loyalty to Rome. Before Rome ever rose to power, before it ever became the world emperor, that little city of Smyrna swore allegiance to Rome. And during one of the battles where the Roman soldiers were losing and they were cold and without clothes, the citizens of Smyrna gave up their own clothing and food to sustain the Roman soldiers in that battle. And because of that loyalty, Rome had a special relationship That city built the first temple to the goddess Roma. What a place. What architecture. What pride and arrogance. Matter of fact, it was noted for the rivalry of its local people. Everyone was seeking to get to the top, to climb the corporate ladder to have the status of the elite in the city of Smyrna. But it was hostile to biblical truth. It was hostile, hostile to the gospel that was being preached in that city. Hostile to the Christians and because of that, they would suffer. But probably one of the most noted individuals in the history of the church of Smyrna to suffer was its leader, Polycarp. You ever heard of Polycarp? Polycarp was a personal disciple of the apostle John, the one who wrote the book of Revelation. Disciples, Polycarp, and then installs Polycarp over the church of Smyrna. And on February 23rd, the year 155, it was time for the public games. And yet the whole city knew that this preacher was a preacher of truth and would not burn incense, even a pinch of incense, to the gods and declare that Caesar is Lord. Look at the golden street. Look at the temples to Zeus and Hadrian statues. Look at this prominence of Rome. We're loyal to Rome. He refused to do that. And so it came time to punish the old man, the old preacher. And so on that date, 
The public games were being held. The city was crowded. The crowds were excited. And suddenly, there in the arena goes the the shout, away with the atheists. Now, they're not talking about people that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or the God of heaven. No, they're talking about people that don't believe in the pagan gods. They're atheists. Away with them. Let Polycarp, that prominent preacher here in Smyrna, let him be found. Well, you know, Polycarp could have escaped, could have left, but he chose not to. For he had had a dream, he had had a vision. He saw a pillow underneath his head burning with fire, and he told his disciples, I must be burnt alive. And his location was given up by a slave whom they tortured. So they came to arrest him. And even the head of the police there in the city of Smyrna, when he came to his house, didn't want to arrest Polycarp. But they came to arrest him and Polycarp invites them into the home and tells those in his home, serve these men a meal and all I ask for is for one hour to pray. On the brief journey to the city, the chief of police pled with him and he said, quote, What harm is it to say Caesar is Lord and to offer sacrifice, a pinch of incense to the gods and be saved? What harm is that, Polycarp? I love you, Polycarp. Polycarp was adamant. You know what he was adamant about? That there's only one person who is Lord. And it's King Jesus. When he entered the arena, they say that there was a voice that came from heaven that said, Be strong, Polycarp. Play the man. You know what's needed in this generation? I'll tell you what's needed. Strong men who will take strong leadership in our churches, in our community, in our state, in our nation, for the glory of God and for truth itself. That is what's needed. The proconsul who was there in the arena turned to Polycarp and gave him the choice of cursing the name of Christ, making a sacrifice to Caesar. That is what you must do, or death. What do you want, Polycarp? And this was his response, recorded for us 2,000 years ago that we might read it today, and he would say this, 80 and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Then the proconsul threatens him with burning We will burn you. 
And Polycarp would respond and say this, you threaten me with the fire that burns for time, and it's quickly quenched. For you do not know that the fire which awaits the wicked in the judgment to come and in the everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come, do what you will. And so the crowds came, bringing their pieces of wood from anywhere and everywhere they could find it. And they began to arrange the wood. And they wanted to tie him. Bind him. Bind him to the stake. We don't want him to get away. Just bind him to the stake. And Polycarp responds, leave me as I am. For he who gives me power to endure the fire will grant me to remain in the flames unmoved, even without the security you will give by the nails. And so they left him loosely bound there in the flames. And then he prayed this great prayer. The wood is arranged. They're ready to kindle it. The crowds are gathered. Certainly in those crowds, there were believers watching what this leader, this aged man would do at a time like this. And they hear him pray. O Lord God Almighty, Father of thy beloved and blessed Christ, through whom we've received full knowledge of thee, God of angels and powers and all creation, and of the whole family of the righteous who live before thee, I bless thee that thou hast granted unto me this day and hour that I may share among the number of the martyrs in the cup of thy Christ for the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and body, in the immortality of the Holy Spirit. And may I today be received among them before thee as a rich and acceptable sacrifice, as thou, the God without falsehood and of truth, has prepared beforehand and shown forth and fulfilled. For this reason, I also praise thee for all things. I bless thee. I glorify thee through the eternal and heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, thy beloved child, through whom be glory to thee with him and the Holy Spirit, both now and for the ages to come. Amen. And they lit the wood. And though he would taste a crown of thorns in time, He will wear an eternal crown. And though he will feel the fire kindled by man, he will never feel the eternal flame of judgment. What can we learn from him? How can we prepare ourselves for what is coming in this age And I would hasten to just show you a few things from this text that I hope will be an encouragement to you. Words for a persecuted church. And the cry of the text is to hear the words of Christ. What is he saying to us? The first and the last who was dead, who's come to life, says this. What words do we need? 
first thing that we need is to understand who Jesus Christ is. He is the first and the last. Do you realize that this is a title in Isaiah that's given to God? God is the first and the last. And this one who came is not just a man. He is the son of the living God and he's deity. He is the first and he is the last and he's everything in between. And the text says that he was the one that literally became dead. Verb that's used there, he became dead. And he was dead for a number of hours. But then the next verb says, he lived. Do you understand that this Christ has already gone through death? What is the worst that humanity can bring to us? If you stand for truth, they can silence you on social media, yes. But they can silence your voice. In the city of New York, you can still get a police permit and stand on a, on a street corner or go into a public park and with amplified sound preach the gospel of God. I hope that those days never change. But they might. What is the worst that they can bring? When he, the one who is the first and the last, is with us. And think of this city, this city that was arrogant, a city in which men and women tried to climb to the top and be the first, the elite. Oh, even in this country and the world, the elite want to rule us. Whatever they decide, whatever they will, they will be first. And yet, my friend, the Lord Jesus Christ is the first and the last, that is a title that the people in Smyrna needed to hear. And I want you to know he did have his own experience. As I mentioned, he became dead and he lived. And not only that, he knows your current experience too. Look at the words here. He knew that they were going to suffer affliction. That word is very special. It means to put pressure. Have you ever had anybody put pressure on you because you were a believer? Have you ever had to make decisions in your workplace or your community because of the pressure? That's what they were feeling, but not only were they feeling pressure, the Lord says, I know your poverty. And they had a couple words for poverty. One of them meant you're just a working poor and you don't have everything. But the word that's used here is you are so poor you have nothing. And these believers were having their goods taken from them. Remember reading the book of Hebrews? In the beginning of the church age, these people were losing what they had. They were on the lower social rung. And yet, though they were poor, the Lord said they're what? Rich. I hope you understand the wealth you have in Christ. I hope you understand that Though a man would gain the whole world and lose his soul. The value of your salvation. 
It's beyond measure. Doesn't matter how poor you are in this world's goods, the issue is do you know how rich you are in Christ? And then the Lord says this, I know the blasphemy. It's a word for slander. Have you ever been slandered? Have you ever faced opposition? You know, Christians were being slandered a number of ways. Matter of fact, when they would celebrate the Lord's table and they would say, this is my body, which is for you, and this is my blood, which is for you, they accused the believers of being cannibals. They're eating and drinking the body and the blood of Christ. And because they called their, their, their fellowship feast, their agape feast, a love feast, they were accused by the pagans of having orgies when they came together. And Christianity can split even families, right? And so because of that, the Christians were accused of tampering with family relationships. They even accused them, as I mentioned earlier, of atheism because they wouldn't pinch the incense and burn it to the gods. And then they were accused of being politically disloyal because they wouldn't say what? Caesar is Lord. Yes, there was slander. And they were accused of being incendiaries because why? They forecast that the end of the age was going to go up in flames. They preached the judgment to come. So they knew poverty, they knew pressure, they knew slander, and even the Lord in this text references future suffering. Do you know that the Lord knows what the future is for each one of us? I never knew when I came to the city of New York that there would be activists in this community who would seek to try to drive me out of the city of New York to use their words, quote, in handcuffs and shame. Oh, we all know what slander is. We all know what pressure is. We all know what affliction is. And we are to expect it if we are suffering for righteousness sake. Now, if we're suffering for our own stupidity, we deserve it. But even beyond the future suffering, the Lord would reference here that they would face prison and ultimately death. I know all of this, the Lord says. And I've had experiences in my life and I even was dead and I lived. And you know who I am? I am the first and the last. Now, if God the Son could go through all of that for us, who do we think we are if we think we're going to avoid suffering in this age? So what was his counsel? What's his counsel then? What's his counsel for us now? And what is his counsel into the future? In this text, he says that all of this is going to come to you because it's going to be used to test you. It's going to be used to show your character and not only show your current character, but God is going to work in your life to transform your character so that you can begin to do what? Become more and more like the image of Christ. That's the purpose. That's the reason for suffering. 
And you and I need not be disturbed by it. But the biggest thing is do not fear. Do you know that that's the greatest tactic of the enemy is to create fear? You know, he's like a roaring lion that walks about seeking whom he may what? Devour. And people are afraid. They're afraid for their own security today, aren't they? They're afraid for their own health today. A lot of fear. And that's how the enemy operates. And the enemy will try to get you so fearful about what they can do and how it's going to impact you that you get off the game. So understand that this testing is used by God to shape our character. Understand that he doesn't want us to fear, but he does want us to be faithful unto death. Are you willing to believe God even if it takes you to death itself? Are you, really? I mean, could you and I stand like Polycarp amidst the burning flames? Or like Stephen amidst the hurling stones? Or like those believers in the arena of Rome who were brought into that arena and sewn up into the skins of wild animals and allow the lions to come in and tear them apart? Or like those believers that were cast in pitch and lit like candles in Nero's garden at night? Do we fear death? My friends, even if death would come to us, where do we go? To be absent from our body, we are where? Present with the Lord. And I'll tell you what, I'd rather be present with the Lord than down here with all the wolves. He has counsel for us. Understand it's to test you. Do not be fearful, but be faithful even if it means death. And he has a reward for us. That's what this text says. He has a reward, and you know what it is? He calls it the crown of life. A crown which is life. Even if death comes, there's life for us. And how fitting it was for there, that city of Smyrna, lay along that harbor with the low hills and the rising mountain with all of its beautiful architect, with that golden street that was called the necklace of Smyrna. But behind it, all those buildings were called the crown. Oh, we've got the crown of Asia. My friend, we have the crown of life. That's what he's promised us. Here and there. We have a crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy. We have a crown of boasting, 1 Thessalonians. We have a crown of glory, 1 Peter 5. We have an immortal crown that fades not away in glory. What a reward. But probably one of the greatest rewards in the text is that the believer, 
needs to listen what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the what? Second death. Do you know that, that this expression, the second death, is only found in the book of Revelation? Have you ever wondered what it is? Listen, the moment that Adam sinned, man was separated from God. That's what death is. Death is separation. There's a spiritual separation until you're reconciled to God and you're brought into relationship with the Creator through Christ. And there's physical death. We haven't experienced it yet. I might experience physical death. The Lord, my Terry, is coming, and I go in death like all of us in this room. That's the first death. That's death. But there is a second death. Oh, you might be separated, your spirit from your body. But my friends, you better not experience the second death. I will say this. The book says in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6 that believers are not affected by the second death. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. Second death has no power over them, but they'll be priests of God and of Christ, and they'll reign with him for a thousand years. What is the second death? Revelation 20 and verse 14 tells us, the final judgment, the lake of fire, is the second death. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And that death is reserved for unbelievers. God never made the lake of fire for humanity. He made it for the devil and his angels. He made it for Satan, the adversary that is behind all of the pressure and the affliction and the slander. He's the devil, the diabolos, the accuser of the brethren who wants to bring fear to you and me so that we're silenced and we won't give truth to a generation that needs it. That was made for him and his angels. My friend, the word of God, the book says that if you resist Christ and you resist the gospel of God, if you turn away from the one God sent to save, you'll be placed there forever. Separate. Listen, can you imagine being abandoned by God forever? That's not what I want. I want to come to this God like he told me to come. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father unless they come through me. Bill, Bill, you can't preach that message. Don't you know that all the roads lead to heaven? No, I don't know that. But this I know, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unless they come through the one that the Father sent to be a Savior of the world. And should I experience the hostility and the animosity from religions that disagree with that message and people that are filled with hatred and violence, I will but remember this. Truth sets people free. And I will love them. For truth and love 
are the people of God. And he has given us the promise of his presence. We have his word. He has spoken. And the spirit of God has spoken. We have that word to guide us, but thank God we have the spirit to guide us. He's promised us his presence. And you know what? The book has told me how it ends. And I believe it. Let's pray. Father, you have put us at this time in human history as we watch the arch enemy of mankind energize people in humanity that are evil who have no regard for your biblical truth. And Father, we sense the winds blowing in this country but who are we that we have been spared so much for so long when our brothers and sisters all around the globe are giving up their life for your gospel? So we come and we pray that we would be faithful, that we would be the victors, that we would be the overcomers. That we would be the ones that persevere to the end and then we get to watch what you do in your sovereignty to push back on the slanderers and the haters and the activists that don't stand and believe in your biblical truth so help your people Lord and thank you that, that we have this word from you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.